This week on Merchants of Change, we sat down with Mark Smith. Mark played college basketball at Wheaton College in Chicago before shifting into a sales career that spanned 25 plus years. Mark has led sales at five different companies, four of which have IPO'd. Currently, Mark's a venture partner at TCV, a venture firm with over $19 billion capital raise. Here he is, Mark Smith. I'm J.R. Butler, co-founder of The Shift Group, and you're listening to Merchants of Change. This is a podcast about transferring the skills and behaviors we acquire as athletes into being a professional technology salesperson. Each week, we'll introduce you to a top performer who will help us understand how they became professional merchants of change. What's up, kid? How you doing, Mark? Uh, doing phenomenal. It's a beautiful day in California. Oh, I love it. Every day is beautiful there, it feels like. Uh, that's the way I feel. Growing up upstate New York, uh, it uh, it sure doesn't suck. I know, I know. I, t- I took my talents to South Beach for the winter from Boston, so I'm I'm loving the weather as well. There we go. Um, so, so, Mark, I know you've uh, hopefully gotten a chance to listen to the show. Um, you know, we... We always try to, the, the audience that we're trying to kind of go for is, um, you know, new sellers and people that are considering getting into sales. And we mainly work with former athletes, right? And you had, you know, you, you had a, a great comment to me about your athletic career, but you, you played at Wheaton College, played basketball. Um, I think you're our first basketball player. So congratulations. Um, yeah, d- diversity had, candidate. <laughs> diversity candidate, exactly. Um, you've 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 been in sales for twenty five years. We gotta we're gonna have some awesome, awesome, awesome uh, conversation about uh, your your sales career. But I, I like to start with the sports the sports stuff. Um, so one question we always like to start with is tell us a little bit about your favorite memory playing sports. Yeah, I was uh, I was definitely not groomed for playing hockey, uh, and I think I was in eighth grade. I was uh, five six and a buck twenty, maybe a buck ten, um, <laughs> rail thin. Uh, so so, but my dad played uh, tight end for University of Colorado, so I, of course I had to play football, and uh, it wasn't really an option. And eighth grade, you know, end of the game, we're playing against our rival, Sleepy Hollow, and. Uh, and they, the coach says, okay, Smith, you're going in. And everyone's like, why? And I guess he wanted everyone to get a chance to play. So he says, tell him to throw you a halfback option. So I go in the huddle and the quarterback, I said to the quarterback, I said, uh, yeah, coach says, throw me a halfback option. He goes, no way. And I was like, yeah, no, seriously, he said it. So so they, I went out, I turn around, the ball hits me in the chest. The guy tackles and holds the ball to me into the end zone. We win the game. Highlight of my athletic career right there. <laughs> that is unbelievable, man. That is awesome. Did you play did you play football after like Pop Warner age? Like did you play in high school or no? Yeah, so I, I did play in high school and all of the because I was a decent basketball player, all the the football players enjoyed taking it out on me. Um, you know, so I, I had grown like another five pounds and they just beat the crap out of me until until finally my senior year, I said to my dad, I'm not playing football. He goes, 
and he had seen how horrible it was. And he's like, okay, you don't have to play. <laughs> <laughs> That's good though. I, I like the multiple sports until you're like, you know, that, that age yeah. 17, 18 is when you should be specializing. You've got kids now that are specializing in one sport at like nine years old. I think it's crazy. Yeah, I do too. Cause you don't really know how you're going to, you know, how you're going to, what you're going to enjoy and what you're going to be built for. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, I'm curious to know, like, so you went on, you played college basketball at Wheaton. How do you think your teammates would, uh, would describe you from Wheaton? Um, I don't think they'd ever describe me as like, uh, the best player on the team. Um, but I ended up being team captain. And I think a lot of it was, I was, I was all about, um, trying to make sure everybody could play their best and, and, and given, given the skills I had using them to, you know, working hard and, um, always putting in the extra effort. Yep. Yep. And, and there's a, there's a, you have a, a record there, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, you gotta be proud of what you, you know, some of the guys you've had on the show have played pro hockey. So I, I hate to like compare, but I held Jack Sigma who ended up playing in the NBA um, I held him to 54, which is still the Wheaton College record. I was just a defensive monster. <laughs> 54 points. Oh, you need, you're gonna, when you tell that story, you got to throw the word only, right? Only, only 54 exactly, points. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. I think it's still the record there. I think I still hold it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so did you, like, in college, was, was sales kind of like your trajectory? Or, like, how did you eventually find your way into sales? Uh, yeah, I, I actually was going to go to law school. And um, I, I, after, after I graduated, my, my dad and mom were living in Tucson, Arizona. So I went down to Tucson. I was going to take the LSAT. And I was like, I actually don't want to keep going to school. So I'm going to get a job. And, my, my, you know, that was really not an option for my dad to, for me to go get a job. So, so I looked in the newspaper and, and there was, you know, there was multiple opportunities. I, you know, they all asked what experience I had. I had none. Um, and, uh, and so I ended up selling direct mail door to door, which is junk mail. So all that junk mail you get in the package from Valpac or whoever, that's what I was doing in Tucson, Arizona to hair cutters. And, you know, it was just extraordinary. That's unreal. But by, by the way, I, I was uh, I was preparing for the LSAT when I got my first sales job as well. Literally same story. I I, I saw I heard that episode and and I thought that was classic. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, but I but you know I got to tell you I crushed it. I I made nine thousand eight hundred dollars <laughs> in my first year. <laughs> it was a good thing I was living at home. Oh, I can relate. I can. I was just excited that I could move from bush light to bud light. That was like I, I, I felt like I made it. <laughs> there we go. That that is big time. How, how long were you in sales before you found like B two B technology sales? Yeah, so it it wasn't that long. Tucson, Arizona, um, wasn't this thriving metropolis for a college guy to you know. In fact, I went on a couple dates and. And girls are like, well, you're 22 and you're, you're not married. And I'm like, I, I got to get out of here. So I, I moved to L.A. with no job, with no place to live and with no friends that I that that I could even that I even knew. Um, and uh, I said I said to my parents, I said, I got, you know, I got five grand in my pocket. I'm going to L.A. And uh, in my first sales job, I was selling B2B. I was selling dictation equipment, you know, door to door and on the phone. Um, you know, in Santa Ana, California, 
and hiding in the back of my par- apartment eating Taco Bell because I couldn't pay the rent. Oh my God. Amazing. And then, and then how did, how did tech land on your lap? Yeah. So I, I ended up, uh, I was talking to my neighbor and, and I had moved on from there to selling that to, I moved up to Western region manager a couple times. And when I first did it, I was, I was too arrogant and thought I knew everything and wasn't really coaching the reps was basically telling them, you know, just come on, this is easy stuff. Just go out and do it and work harder. And, you know, I sucked as a manager. So I, uh, I finally sort of figured out how to be a manager. And my neighbor said to me, he goes, dude, you know, you're doing well. You should, uh, you should go to Silicon Valley and get into tech. And I was like, really? He goes, yeah, he goes, you're making good money, but you, you actually can get stock equity. And I'm like, what, what's that? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, that was, uh, and so I interviewed with a company and ended up at a company called Network Peripherals and, it was uh, phenomenal. We we ended up uh, a few years later taking it public. Oh, that's amazing. The, the the first the first like explanation of equity to people is always like you're kind of face. Wait, I can have like ownership in the success of the company. It's such an unbelievable concept when you first get it. I know. I remember the conversation I had when I learned about it. Um, yeah, and, and obviously you've you've had a, a few IPOs that we'll get into, but like in those. You know, this is a little bit of a, a shift group pitch here, but, you know, I'm curious to get your take as a sales leader, what your experience has been like with people like you and I, right? Former college, college slash elite level athletes from a sales perspective. Yeah, elite's a stretch, but um, we'll just go with athlete. <laughs> so um, I, I love, I absolutely love hiring athletes. Um, in fact, um, we, we at Rubric at the last company I was with, that's, that's a company that's doing very well in the marketplace. Um, we, we almost had without setting it in, in writing a higher athletes or nothing. And we had, we had a chess champion. We had people that played, uh, lacrosse overseas. We had people that played cricket, which I'll never understand that game. No way. Um, but we we had athletes, and it was, and we created this culture of of you know leveraging that competitive drive to where we you know every day we were having Nerf ball shooting contest. If you if you got an appointment, you, you got one shot, and there was prizes, and and we just leveraged it. And I I love hiring athletes. To be honest with you, the, I think almost exclusively the best reps I've had over the last twenty five years have been athletes. That's amazing. Um, I agree. Like you get the competitive side, but I think the other piece that people don't talk about with athletes is athletes are used to practice. So mm-hmm. you can really build a culture of like growth and development when you have a bunch of people with that mindset that they've spent their entire life trying to get better at something. Now it's like, all right, now you need to try and get better at this. You know what I mean? Yep. I, I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that as much as the competitive side because the competitive side, you know, we leveraged like crazy, right? But uh, I think you're right about the practice and putting in the effort. Um, and I, you know, from, you know, it's no different than the guy who's goes and, and, and goes out and takes that extra hundred shots after everyone goes in the locker room, right? Um, it's, it's, that's the mentality. I used to, I used to go to Taco Bell in, in that first junk mail job. And, and then after everyone was gone from the office, I'd go back to the office 
and just do mailer cards and send out like a hundred mailer cards when everybody else was off, you know, having a Bud Light. Yep. Yep. There's no, sometimes people need to realize there's really no secret. It's just work really hard. And that's a, that's a great example of it. Um, I, I imagine like you've been, you know, you've been a leader for so long. You've probably had a lot of mentor mentee relationships um and i feel very grateful for what i do now which i get to i get to work with young people every day that are just starting their career um and the way our business works is we we typically put our our athletes in front of multiple companies and they get multiple offers um and you've 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 got a little bit of a like a magic wand in terms of picking companies i'm curious like what would you advise a new a fresh new sales face, like a BDR, like what should they be looking at when they're looking at potential em- employers for their first sales job? Well, I think there's there's so much better tools today, JR, and you you talk about it in some of your other segments. First of all, I, I got to put a plug in for Shift Group. I, I love what you guys are doing. When, when I first heard about it, I was like, um, you know, I've got to get, uh, T- I work as a partner at TCV now and a uh, venture capital firm. And I've got to get uh, Shift Group involved, which I'm sure you're okay with. But I, I love it because you're giving people the tools. And so, so what what were the things I would do? I would I would go on LinkedIn. I would look at the current reps. I would connect with them on LinkedIn and say, "Hey, looking at your company, do you mind if we have a five minute call?" And then I'd go to the former reps, and and that's when you really find out um, what what the company's like and why did they leave and did they leave because it was a bad environment or not. And, you know, it's so funny. People are willing to help you out as a new, you know, as a new guy or a new kid, they're willing to help you out if you just ask. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Squeaky wheel gets the oil without a doubt. Um, on the, on the company characteristic side, right? Like we, I, I try to actually emphasize with our kids, like, you know, you're not necessarily going to find some product you're super passionate about, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, rubric, amazing, amazing technology, data management. Uh, but like a 23 year old kid isn't isn't going to understand why how important that is in the industry. So I always say, hey, your network is your net worth, right? Like the people you're going to work for initially are going to build the foundation for you. Do you like it, from a company characteristic perspective outside of like leadership? Is there something that you think jumps off the page at you that that a kid should look for? Yeah, I, I happen to agree with you not to get caught up on the tech. Am I excited about the tech? Because what you find out is, you know, Rubrik is a great example. When I joined Rubrik, we were a backup storage company. Right. It, it, I mean, it's it, I mean, it was basically just dumb storage. And then we the, the company transitioned to becoming a security and a ransomware protection company. So you don't know where the technology is going. And, and frankly, I was at a company, uh, Infoblox, selling DNS DHCP, which is the IP management. There is nothing more dull on earth than <laughs> IP management. There's, it's nothing. It's impossible. It made copiers look fun. So, uh, so I got to tell you, I, don't think, I think you're absolutely correct, JR, about the tech isn't the important thing. It's who you're working for and who you're working with in my, in my view. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you, you said it, right? Like sales, even, even since I got into it in the early two thousands, right. I, when I got on LinkedIn, as an example, there was less than 5 million people on LinkedIn. 
Um, now it's 830 million. I looked at that stat last night. I was like, holy crap. And you've got like these amazing like tech stack that uh, these BDRs have, right? To, to do their job. Yep. I had a, I had a business journal and a phone. Like it was like, yep. good luck. Um, yep. But the, not only has the technology changed, I think the other thing that's changed is like the key skills that make you successful, right? Because of, because of how customers are engaging with product companies and, and, and salespeople, what do you think from a sales skill perspective is really important in 2022, 2023 now for an entry level person? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, one of the best sales guys who ever worked for me was committed to 100 dials to, inter to companies a day. And every single day he'd say to me, whenever I rode with him in the field, he'd say, hey, Mark, I'd love to hear about the kids, the family, everything else going in your basketball career, which is amazing. I'd love to hear all that stuff. But I got to make a few calls because I got to get to my 100 today in between the appointments that we have. And we'd have four or five appointments. He got to his 100 dials every day. And I think to me, that hasn't changed, you know, frankly. And I loved your, your Reebok story. That was a, that was a great session um, talking about that Reebok. Getting creative ways to get in there and, and not being afraid to do, you know, to do face-to-face uh, -face and, and to get on the phone. I think people hide behind email and social media. Um, at one of our startups that we invested in, they just terminated a rep. And he was the most prolific social media rep ever. But he was, he was educating the world on potentially... Um, not even wanting this, you know, blocking this company. He did so much social media and he was hiding behind it instead of just getting on the phone and, and getting after prospecting. Yeah. I always, I tell people when they talk about social media selling, it's like, it, it's a lot easier said than done. And at the end of the day, more is going to be said than done, right? Like you gotta, I love it. It's, it's high activity. And, and especially nowadays with, with the noise out there, you do have to be creative, right? Even if you're selling the best technology in the world, the person you're calling is getting 55 to 100 other calls, right? Like in emails and, and LinkedIn messages. So that creativity is enormous. Um, so Tom told me, our producer Tom uh, said he asked you about mentorship. Um, and you talked about Tom Mendoza, who I... I I, I love that that name came up. I've been fortunate enough to, to spend a couple nights with Tom in New York City. Uh, some of the funniest jokes, by the way, that I've ever heard. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and without probably, a doubt. He probably reused ones that he used on, on you, on me. But um, what, tell me a little bit about like your mentor-mentee relationship with him and, and what you learned from him. Oh man, I can't. Uh, I I can't tell you good. I can't tell you enough good stuff about Tom Mendoza. You know, um, Tom is absolutely, and I I actually think it's one of. Uh, I would say it was one of the best decisions or choices I made in my entire career during the interview process with this company, NetScreen, a firewall company that we that we took public. I'm interviewing with Tom. I'm in his office over at NetApp. And I said to Tom, I said, Tom, I, I don't know if I want NetScreen because I had, I had a few options. I said, I don't know if NetScreen wants me, but, but I have just one ask of you. And he goes, you're in no position to ask me for, you know, if you know Tom, he's like, you're in no position to ask me for anything. What do you mean you're going to ask me for something? I said, well, I'm going to ask anyways, Tom. I said, if I take the job, 
can I get an hour of your time once a month? And that was the best decision. That was one of the best decisions of my entire career. Um, and I'll tell you, Tom, you know, the Notre Dame stories are epic, you know, largest single endowment ever to Notre Dame. And, you know, that that's an epic story, Mendoza School of Business. But every meeting I went to, the difference with the mentor relationship is I is he could have talked about Notre Dame every time we went for an hour. And I and I always had two things, issues that I wanted him to help me on. And he's so brilliant as a sales leader that that that's something that I see now with people who, who ask me to be their mentor. I'm like, okay, you gotta bring you gotta bring two topics that you want to talk because just updating me on the business. I, that doesn't do me any good. Um, no. it, are you there to learn or not? And if I can't teach you something, then drop me as a mentor. But Tom was Tom was spectacular. Yeah, not, and not only does it not do anything for you, it doesn't do anything for them if all they're doing is a commercial for themselves, right? Like they yep. they should be coming with help. Um, how, how do you think? Like, what's a good way for young people to to try to identify mentors? Look for the top sales rep. Yeah. If I if I'm a BDR, having started off as that, you know. I'm just, I just wanted to know the top sales rep and my, uh, and, 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 and my son is in sales now. And, um, what did he do at his new company? The first thing he did, and I didn't even tell him the first thing he did is he looked at for the top sales rep. And you know, the funny thing is the top sales rep is always willing to help always, almost without exception. And yep. they're like, okay, I'll help you out, kid. I know you're young. And, and if you go in with the right attitude of, man, I've seen your results and I, I, I would love to uh, just understand what you did to be successful. I mean, who's not going to want to talk about themselves? Totally, hundred percent. Especially salespeople. Salespeople. Yeah, especially salespeople. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's 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 so good. Look at the leaderboard. Talk to the guy at the top, mm. guy or girl at the top, hundred um, percent. So switching gears, uh, you have built some amazing organizations, some great sales teams. Um, a, a large part of our audience is kind of kicking off their process and, and meeting with, you know, future Mark Smiths in terms of sales leaders. I, I'd love for them to hear a little bit about like when you're interviewing a potential hire that you're going to bring into your organization, what are, what are the kind of things that you're looking for and listening for in, in, in sales candidates? I think the first thing is drive. It's, it's no different than uh, athletics from that perspective. You know, it's, you know, why, and, drive and motivation. Why do they have to win? So I moved away from Tucson and my dad said to me as I was leaving, you know, gave me the big, you know, big hug and said, you know, hey, listen, you're always welcome to come home. That was never, ever, ever going to happen. That would never happen. And so that I had this motivation of I couldn't pay the rent. I I, I was uh, in the back room eating Taco Bell and Love Taco Bell, not really, but uh, I mean that's that food is horrible after a while. So uh, you know, I I was I had this motivation, and and you know when you when you interview a guy and and I ask him, you know what you know what's driving you, and they say, well, you know I I just I really want to be successful. I want to be in your job, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, what do you think it'll take to get there? And and then at some point I ask him, you know what what else are you into? What what gets you excited? And and the guy who tells me that he's so excited about cooking and, and starts explaining all the stuff he has is done in cooking, I suck at cooking. I have no interest in cooking. He missed the audience. He completely didn't read the audience. And by the way, all I'm trying to do 
is understand if he's really motivated enough to work those extra three or four hours a night when everybody else is off at cooking class with their girlfriend. So, right. you know, it's, it, I, I just want to know what, they, what drives them. Why do they have to win? And what, what, what would, what's their biggest fear? And if their biggest fear is failure, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. The fear of failure, hundred um, percent. Lucky you made that $9,800 so you could do Taco Bell, <laughs> Taco Bell instead of Del Taco, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was up. I was upscale. Yeah. <laughs> Couldn't pay the rent, but I was eating Taco Bell. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And that, I always call that drive. Like we, we, we actually have a course on it where we, we force kids to think about their why. Like, what's your why, right? Like, if you're why, and, and, you know, unfortunately in today's world, a lot of whys are like, well, I want to, I want to have flexibility and I want to, you know, build my own schedule. I'm like, that's not a, that's not a good why. Like that's not go, go, go teach elementary school. That's a great career and you get summers off and you're done by 2 PM. Right. Like if that's, if that's your why sales is not for you. So I love that answer. Um, you're, you've managed managers and, and led sales leadership. Um, what do you what do you see the difference between like an average sales leader uh, and like like a really really good sales leader? Yeah, I think I think uh, in your notes that you had sent me before the call, you'd said what's what's the difference between an average and mediocre. And I'm like, I don't know. I, 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 I made a mistake. I made a mistake hiring. <laughs> yeah, on both cases. Yeah. yeah. So, I uh, the the difference I see is um, first of all, it's um, I think there's a I think there's a there's a saying that Tom Mendoza uses. Sorry to bring up Tom again, but he's so good. But he says, you know, people don't care what you know unless they know that you care, and I think managers that are busy saying, you know, taking credit for deals um, with their reps worked on, you know, touting the, the outcome of the quarter of what they had versus uh, focusing on their salespeople and the success of salespeople. You know, at that point that you're a manager, you've already had success, hopefully, or the, team, uh, the company made a hiring decision, bad decision. Right. But, you know, the guys who are still focused on what they accomplished and pounding their chest in management, or as you get up to up the layers to VP and stuff, I'm just like, seriously, you, you should have grown out of this. Now it's all about your people, That's you it. know? And, and I, you know, I, 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 you know, I know you guys are in new England and I hate the Patriots, but Belichick, you know, <laughs> Belichick, he deflects and back to his players on almost every single interview. And he's one of the most successful coaches in history. And what does he do? He deflects and talks about his player and, and pumps him up. And, you know, and I don't ever remember Bill talking about himself and, and what a gr great game plan he called. I never remember that one time. Never, never. Man, man, a few words, but the words he does have are always about his team. That's so true. Yeah, um, yeah and you made the point earlier when you took, first started in management, you were a great rep. And you were like, what are you guys doing? This, this is easy, right? I see you see this in athletics a lot, right? Professional athletes that go right into coaching and they, it's like Wayne Gretzky can't even like begin to understand how to teach people because his skill level was on such a different level than what a normal person is. And sometimes you see small, smaller companies. We, we made this mistake at my, at my company uh, when we were young. We were like, all right, let's just promote the best rep 
to be a manager. And like, they need the right mindset. And I think what you're talking about is really mindset. Your job as a, as a manager isn't to be successful. It's to make your team successful. And that is it, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I do. I do always. Uh, I had an interesting conversation multiple times with reps who weren't a top producer. And they, they'd say to me, hey, you know, Mark, uh, the top producers don't make the best managers. And I would say, yeah, but we'll never know in this company. Because I do think they, in order to have the respect of the team, they have to have proven that they were a really good rep. They don't have to be number one necessarily. But um, yeah. the, guy who, the guy who says, I think I'd be better at management than at sales. Okay, that's great. Find another company where they'll, they'll take you because not interested. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Yeah, if, if if you can't, you know, if you can't do the skill, you can't teach the skill, right? Like you need some foundational yep. execution before you can teach it. Um, I'm I'm curious, uh, you know, we when you when you 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 you've taken some big jobs, and I think like I, I was a CRO, and like when I interviewed, the most important person I met with was the CEO because they were going to be my boss. Um, so I think that. Like a sales leader going to a new company, what what do you think that they should look for in their potential boss that they're going to work for? Because you've obviously made some great choices and built great relationships with the executive level. What are the things you're looking for? You know, I've worked for I've worked for um, good bosses and I've worked for tough bosses. Um, the the to me is are they are they all about winning? You know, it's you know I I. Uh, I love companies that, you know, we're heavily involved in a nonprofit called International Justice Mission, but that's not the purpose of the companies that I worked for. That's an ancillary thing. That's a nice thing that I'm involved in, but the purpose is to go win. And um, I think the, the boss who is desperate to win and, and a lot of their questions of you are, you know, what drives you? What, why do you have to win? And what, where have you shown that in your background um, indicates a lot of where their mindset is. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. You need, you need because then you know they're going to make decisions that are best for the company and not selfish, and for them to be able to beat their chest. But they're gonna they're gonna go team first all day because they want the team to win. They want the company to win. Um, that's a really good way to look at it. Um, You've been VP of sales at five companies, I believe, Mark, and four have IPO. That's an experience I haven't been fortunate enough to go through. I've seen, I've helped raise money. I've, I've gone through a, an exit, um, but never an IPO. Like, what would you say you're most proud of in your career from a sales perspective? Uh, without a doubt, I think it goes back to that, the way I view leadership. It's um, now there's no less than 15 guys that worked for me that are now CROs or VPs of sales. Um, that's sick. And that's, that's where I get my pride. It's like being a dad, you know, when, with your daughter or your son. And, and I love, I love the success there happened. I, I would help them in any way I possibly could. A lot of times they're like, you know, you're a little bit dated, Mark. So we, we need to move on with new mentors <laughs> and I'm good with that. But yeah, that, that's what, that's what gets me excited is, is having, um, see their success. That's amazing. That's amazing. And and I saw a little note about a check you flew, you flew out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, it's just, it's just a mentality. Um, I, I had a conversation with a VP of sales the other day that, that, you know, one of our, our companies that we're invested in and, 
it was so disappointing. He was talking about how he had gone in and what he had done on this account and all this stuff. And what really juiced me up is when I was in Southern California, my rep in Northern California closed a big deal and uh, I flew up. I got I got the company to print him out the check and I took the $100,000 commission check, flew and took him out to the to the uh, waterfront hotel and uh, on the bay in, in San Francisco for lunch and handed him the check. And, and and it was for me. I mean, that I was, and he was like blown away. But you know, lifelong friends now. You know, um, and and that's the kind of loyalty you want on your team. And you you don't you don't get it by telling them what a great guy you are. You get it by yeah. your actions. Totally, totally. And I know you're not a Pats fan, but I think if you ask Bill <laughs> Belichick what he's most proud of, he would comment on his coaching tree, which is what you're talking about, right? Like yeah. the folks that grow up working with you and for you that go on to become leaders. That's I'm, I'm the same way. Like that's the, that's the coolest part of sales leadership is, is getting to watch people take it to the next level because of, you know, the stuff that you got to work on with them. So cool. Um, so this is a couple closing questions. Um, the first, the first one we always ask candidates is we, we ask them about their superpower, right? Like every, every salesperson has like one thing that they're just, they're just really good at and it makes them super elite. What, what's your, what's your superpower from a sales perspective, Mark? I think it's, um, it's being legitimate and legitimately caring, whether it was my customers. I had a, I had a customer that was my customer 15 years ago. He reached out to me and said, hey, I'm going to be in the Bay Area. If you're around, let's grab dinner. This was just a couple of weeks ago. And um, he called me up and said, hey, Mark, I can't make dinner. My mom was just diagnosed with ALS. Ugh. And he hadn't told anyone out. He says, I got to be honest with you. I don't even know how to, to deal with this. And I goes, I haven't even told my brother yet. He hadn't told his own family members, but he told me because of the relationship that we had built and the fact that he reached out for us to get to dinner, you know, um, and I, and I, I tell you the whole, I think just caring about legitimately, truly caring about the customer or the salesperson that works for you or the manager that works for you, um, is what's important to me. Yeah. Caring. That's a, that's a, so concise, but so true. And like, so well said, um, all right, last question. So I, I think you know this. I grew up in a hockey household. My yep. father was a high school hockey coach for 30 years, Hall of Fame, Massachusetts. And he used to tell us when we were like eight years old, he, he would say, you know, boys, there's a lot of people that play hockey, but there's not a lot of hockey players. And what he was trying to instill in us is the idea of professionalism, right? And like, you know, really, really focusing on being a pro. Um, and I, you know, whenever I talk about salespeople, the people that I really look up to, I'm like, you know, this guy, this girl is a pro. Um, so what do you think in sales? What does being a pro mean to you? I, I, I think because you have people with all different levels of capabilities of what level they're achieved. You know, I've heard some of your shows where you have a pro hockey player and then I've heard some where they didn't quite make the pros and. And then you've got this basketball player who got scored fifty four scored on him. So I think only, it's just only met, yeah, that's only fifty four. <laughs> so I think it's uh, 
I think it's using a hundred percent of the ability that God's given you. Um, that to me is being a pro because you, what else could you ask of yourself? If you gave a hundred percent and you know that you, you know, the quote left it on the field or whatever, but in sales, then you do that and um, you'll achieve the maximum that you could achieve. So I think that's being a pro. Amazing. Give, give, give everything you've got. That's all you can do, right? At the end of the day, that's all you can do. That's all you can control. So good, Mark. This was such an awesome yeah. conversation. Another, another episode of required listening for shift group uh, candidates. Mark, really, really great. I love great. that. I love that you do that for your uh, for your candidates, uh, Jr. I love that you have courses for them and stuff like that. Um, I am definitely going to promote Shift Group. I really, really love what you're doing. I appreciate it, Mark. Have a have a great day. Thank you. You too. Cheers. This wraps up this episode of Merchants of Change. If you enjoyed this episode, the most meaningful way to say thanks is to submit a review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're interested in working with us, please come find us at www.shiftgroup.io.